Go ahead. Y'all can move up. Come on. There's nothing to be afraid of. All right. Wheelers, always on the front row. All right. This is a, a really good one tonight. We're going to close out on talking about the blood covenant, the blood of Jesus. How many of you know that we're in a covenant? We're in a covenant. And one thing that I want us to really begin to get is that when we honor or, or uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we're actually celebrating a covenant. We're, we're honoring a covenant. That's what that Lord's Supper is meant to signify. But we'll talk about that in just a minute. But let's, uh, let's look at what we went into last time. And let's, uh, let's pray together. I know you've been standing a lot, but let's pray one, or stand one more time. We're going to pray. And how many of you are thankful for the blood of the Lamb? Are you thankful? Aren't you glad that He forgave you? Aren't you glad that the blood took the judgment off of you? All right. Father, we just thank you tonight for the blood covenant in which we stand. And I pray that, Lord, as we look at this tonight, you will give us personal revelation. And not only us, but our radio friends listening in their cars and homes, hotel rooms, wherever. Lord, all of us together, open our understanding so that we may know what is the hope of his calling and the richness of the covenant that God cut with us through the blood of his son. Now, can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive with meekness the engrafted word. Amen. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight. You can be seated. Now, I, uh, I've kind of typed out a lot here because I just didn't want to miss anything. I want to be real clear about this. So let me just, uh, let's just talk about what we saw last time. Last time we saw how God initiated the Passover. And all the Hebrew people were instructed to slay a spotless lamb. Now, you remember that I've told you so many times that the Old Covenant is the New Covenant, types and shadows, foretastes, foreshadowings of the New Covenant that was to come. God taught the Hebrew people over and over and over again in so many different ways uh, the importance of blood covering sin. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, it began, and His lessons, His teaching, His people And now, when we came up to the Passover, there's no greater example in the whole Old Testament, Old Covenant, than the Passover. So remember that they were instructed to slay a spotless lamb. They were then to dip a hyssop into the blood and place it above to the sides and at the bottom of the doors to their homes. And next, they were to go inside through the same door and prepare the lamb for a feast. They were not to take off their shoes or lay their staffs down as a symbol of their soon approaching deliverance. They kind of had an attitude of, uh, we're, we're here, but we're not staying. Uh, there was an attitude of one foot in, one foot out. At any time, we're going to be delivered. And this was a picture of how we ought to be looking at things in this world. I live like he could come back today, but I plan like 
he may not come back in my lifetime. I plan my life out. I don't cease planning because he could come, but I live like he could come before I'm done. Okay? So they had this attitude. We've got our shoes on. We've got our staff in our hand. Here they were in their house eating this sacrificed lamb. The blood was over the door. And at any moment they knew their deliverance was, would come, so they didn't even take their shoes off. Now, you and I are living the same way, and I want you to catch this. The blood is over the door of your heart. And didn't you feed on Jesus today? When you read the Word, when you prayed, when you walked with Him, when you obeyed Him? Uh, you know, that's what Jesus meant when He said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they didn't understand that when He said that. And 4,988 people walked away from Him when He spoke that saying, leaving only the twelve. He said, will you also go? And they said, you alone have the words to eternal life. So they were understanding what he was saying. Every day that we live as believers, we've got the blood over the door of our heart. We're feasting on Jesus, and we're expecting that any moment he could come again. So we, in a sense, have our shoes on and the staff in our hand. And that's the way it is. And that's the way they ate uh, this Passover feast, the very first one. Now, we also saw that while they ate, the death angel passed over Egypt, striking the firstborn of every household not covered by the blood. This final plague brought Israel's deliverance. God had told His people to observe the Passover annually from that day forward as a reminder of their deliverance. It was also to remind them that they were in eternal covenant and union with God and with each other through the blood covenant. So we are in the new covenant. We're in eternal covenant with God through the blood, and we're in covenant with each other. We're all of one family, different color skins, different backgrounds, different educational backgrounds, all of that, but one family under the blood and under the cross. Okay? Now, let's recall for a moment that when God renewed His covenant with Abraham, He made three promises. This is really important. First, He said, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky or the sands on the seashore. Then He promised, those same descendants are going to possess the promised land. But then the third promise was that one would come as a descendant of Abraham who would be a blessing to the whole world. The coming one, now I've got that in quotes, the coming one would not only be their king, but somehow in a way they didn't fully understand, he would be God living among them. They didn't fully get this. But he would be God living among them. He would be their God and they would be his people. And I gave you all the verses where you can look that up. Now, keeping that in mind, after the Hebrews possessed the promised land, they began to look for the fulfillment of this third promise. Where is the coming one? Where is the coming one? They began to look for the coming one. What? better way 
could they anticipate his coming than by setting aside a place for him at the Passover meal, which symbolized their communion with God. So you know what they began to do? Every time they would observe the Passover, the Hebrew people began placing a cup at the end of the table. And it was called the cup. The cup. And, or the cup of blessing. No one could drink from the cup because it was reserved for who? The coming one. Because see, they said, well, our descendants are in the millions now. And we're in the promised land, so that's promise one and promise two. So where is promise three? Where is the coming one who is literally God among us? And they so believed the promise that they got this cup. And every time they had the Passover, they put it at the end of the table. You couldn't sit there and you couldn't drink from the cup because it, they, it was waiting for the one who would come and only he would be allowed to drink from that cup. Now keep that in mind. It's going to matter in a minute. As time progressed, the temple was built. And instead of killing the lambs at the doorpost of their homes, the people began to bring the lambs to Jerusalem, and they began to kill them at the temple. Now, that was the next progression in the Passover, because they multiplied and and so on and so forth. So they just began to bring the lambs to the temple, and they began to slay the lambs in the temple. Now, I want you to understand that the Passover was not a somber thing for these people. When they had the Passover, remember, what had God done for them? What did he do for them? God had, God had delivered them from Egypt. He had defeated their enemies, their slave masters. He had revealed himself in 10 incredible plagues where finally the Egyptians turned loose of them like they were hot coals. Get out of here. They even gave them their jewelry on the way out. And then God divided the sea, and they crossed over as if on dry land. So this was miraculous. This was a miracle. This was unprecedented, never before seen. So when they, when they celebrated the Passover, when that death angel passed over their houses and their firstborn was not killed because the blood was on the door and the blood kept judgment off of them, when they celebrated it, it was, uh, it was a time of celebration and joy. It was not somber. The people would break into spontaneous worship and praise to God, and while the Levites would lead the people in singing the Psalms of David. You ought to read when you get home Psalms 113 through 118, because that's generally what they would sing. Psalms 113 through 118. And everybody would sing the first line of each psalm. Then the Levites would sing the second line of each psalm. And the people would respond by saying, Hallelujah, or praise the Lord. Now, I just, I pulled Psalms 113 out. I'm not going to try to get us all to sing unless Steve wants to jump up and help me here. (laughs) Do you, Steve? (laughs) But let's do it. Let's try it. Come on, let's try it. Now, what it is is like the first line, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, uh, is what... Um, everybody would sing. And then that second one, praise the name of the Lord, the Levite would sing. And then everybody would say hallelujah. So let's try just the first verse. So you got to lead them in singing praise the Lord, praise those servants of the Lord. Then you're going to sing alone. And this is going on radio. Okay. All right. Are you ready? 
praise the Lord and praise those servants of the Lord is what the Levites would sing and or, or I'm sorry the people would sing then where's my aimer there it is then the people no then you would sing this one we'll sing this one then you sing this one then all of you say after he's done with that one hallelujah praise the Lord okay so you're gonna have to give them a C or a D and just help them sing it then you sing this one alone the Lord praise O servants of the Lord now Hallelujah. Now, wait a minute. That was fun. I want to do another one of those. And it, it just so happens that I've got some right here. Because I tell you, that's what they would do at their Passover. It, it, it's powerful. So you would sing, we will sing this one. You would sing this one. And then we'll do the hallelujah. So here we go. Help us. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Hallelujah. Oh, that's cool. We got to do four. Come on. I'm feeling Passover spirit here. All right, here we go. All right. The, the Lord is exalted over all the nations. Glory above the heavens. Hallelujah. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high. Hallelujah. Who stoops down to look? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Hallelujah. I got a rush on that. That was good. That's fun. That's what they would do. This was celebration. It was not a downtime. This was because they were celebrating their incredible deliverance from 400 years of bondage to slavery. So this incredible worship time was accompanied with trumpets, harps, flutes, tambourines, the cymbals, and other instruments. It reached its peak as the entire nation lifted their voices to God and sang, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That psalm had to do with the Passover. That one we've sung so many times is a Passover song. Now I want you to notice something really important here. Israel's greatest celebration, catch this, this is where God had brought them to. Their greatest celebration was revolving around a mighty deliverance that came as the result of the shedding of the blood of a spotless lamb. God was teaching them there is no forgiveness of sin apart from the blood. And it will be the blood 
of a spotless lamb that washes the sins of the world away. This is the great teacher, God Almighty, prepping his people so that they fully get this, okay, before Jesus ever arrived. Uh, I got a kick out of this. Um, One Passover during the reign of King Hezekiah was such a wonderful festival of praise, they continued it for seven more days. But not to be outdone, King Josiah personally contributed 30,000 animals for sacrifice. So Passover was a time of great celebration. But now more time passed by. And it became very difficult for people in the outlying areas, and we can understand this, to bring their lambs all the way from where they lived to the temple. So the Levites began raising lambs for the Passover sacrifice right in Jerusalem, and they sold them at the temple. All right? So a Hebrew coming to to Jerusalem for Passover would make his way through the teeming, massive crowd to the place where the lambs were sold. He might overhear somebody saying that there are about 250,000 Passover lambs this year because we know that the great Jewish historian Josephus recorded that one year there were 256,000 lambs for one Passover celebration. This This was huge. And they were celebrating this deliverance by blood. Okay? As three o'clock approaches, excitement and anticipation fill the air. Moving with the crowd with your lamb in hand, you make your way to the altar of the temple where the sacrifice will be made. When three o'clock arrives, hundreds of thousands of knives flash through the air and the lambs are slain. The blood is then passed down a line of Levite priests, the last one of which throws the blood against the altar. And they obeyed God by honoring this Passover feast. Now, we're going somewhere with this. What does all of this mean for New Covenant Christians? What does this matter to me and to you? A lot. Quite likely on this very same day, God sent forth His only Son into the world who was born of the seed of woman. He was uniquely born of the seed of a woman because He was brought into the world through the womb of a woman who had never known a man. He was born of a virgin. God bypassed the natural reproduction process and prepared for himself a body. This is what all the old covenant was pointing to. Some 30 years later, John the Baptist, on seeing Jesus approach the waters of baptism, cried out, did he cry out, behold the Messiah? No. Behold the Savior? What did he call him? The Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now here's all these Hebrews who have been raised on this old covenant truth. So what did they think the minute they heard him call Jesus the Lamb? They thought of Passover. They thought of being delivered by blood. 
They thought of all the myriad times their ancestors had slain a lamb, put the blood on the altar, slain a lamb. They thought back to the people in Egypt who put the blood above the door, the sides of the door, the bottom of the door, in the shape of a cross. They thought back, and they knew exactly what John was saying. Immediately after this proclamation, Jesus was driven into the wilderness to do battle with the serpent. But he returned in the power of the Spirit, and his fame began to spread throughout the region. Three years later, on the tenth day of the month of Passover, which was exactly the same day the pet lambs were set aside back in Egypt, the real Lamb of God entered Jerusalem. Jesus, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, was fulfilling a 400-year-old prophecy by the prophet Zechariah, who wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon a donkey. He wrote four centuries before Jesus appeared and entered Jerusalem on a donkey. Yet the serpent still sought to destroy him through the religious and political leaders. For five days after he went into Jerusalem on the donkey, for five days they tested him and tried to trap him with trick questions. But guess what? There's nothing wrong with him. They can't find anything in him. You know why? Because he's spotless. He's without blemish. They can no, find no fault with him because he was born to die as a Passover lamb. And the Passover lamb had to be perfect and spotless and faultless. So even after examining him for five days with trick questions, they could find nothing wrong with Jesus. As the Passover arrived on the 14th, as the Old Covenant Passover arrived on the 14th, Jesus secured a room for he and his disciples. At the end of the meal, he took a piece of bread and broke it. And when he did that, folks, now hear me on this one. When he did that, he, he broke tradition with the Passover. Suddenly, he's doing something that was never done in a Passover. This has nothing to do with slaying a lamb. He broke the bread, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, I got to tell you, these salty old, crusty old fishermen who've been raised in Old Covenant theology were scratching their heads. Went, what is he doing? This is no lamb. What's he talking about? This is my body. See, they never got it until Pentecost. But what Jesus was doing was he was saying, now what I'm about to do, I'm about to cut a new covenant with you, and the old covenant is going to pass away. This sent clear shockwaves through the group. There was no lamb, as with Abraham, to take his place. It is Jesus himself clearly announcing that he would be the sacrifice lamb. Next, Jesus took the cup, the cup. Do you get, get it now? The cup. They knew what cup it was. He, he took the cup that had always been waiting for the coming one. The symbology was there. They knew. The symbolism was there. He took the cup. 
gave it to his disciples and said, all of you drink of it, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I am the coming one who alone could drink from the cup. You get it? Then Jesus went out and had a personal confrontation with Satan. At nine o'clock that morning, as the lambs were being prepared for sacrifice, Jesus was nailed to the cross on Passover. The third hour was nine o'clock in the morning, Jewish time. So when you read that in the Bible, it says the third hour of the day, he was crucified at nine in the morning. There on the cross, while the old covenant lambs were being prepared, he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions, and there on that cross he was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter. His strength was poured out like water. His bones were out of joint, but not one of them was broken. His heart melted like wax. His tongue stuck to his mouth. His bones protruded out of his body. And when he pushed himself up in an attempt to breathe, the nails bruised his heel. You remember that prediction? God made all the way back in Eden. The seed of the woman is going to bruise the serpent's head, but the serpent's going to bruise his heel. Then at 3 o'clock, as the people are singing praises like what we just did, not grasping at all what God is bringing to pass, just a stone's throw from them. As their praises echoed through the hills of Jerusalem, the lambs are slaughtered, and at the same moment as the shouts of hallelujah and praise the Lord ring out on the hill called Calvary, Jesus died. Like the doorpost back in Egypt, the blood of the Lamb covered the cross. Now, what I like about this, I mean, there's so many things you can say about this, but we do know that darkness had covered the whole sky. And we know that when he died, the veil in the temple that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies, which was a monstrosity, it was huge and it was thick, I mean really thick and stout. No human hands could ever have touched it or torn it asunder. God by the Spirit grabbed hold of the top of that veil and a great terrible noise filled the temple as he ripped that veil top to bottom and he was saying, now, the old covenant is passed away. And now whosoever will can enter the holy of holies by the blood of my son that was just shed on Calvary. You don't need the Passover lambs anymore. That's why Hebrews says, once for all, the blood of the son has been shed. Doesn't ever need to be another one because by his blood we are covered and our sins are washed away. Isn't that beautiful? Mm. 
all who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior remember Him regularly by partaking of our own covenant meal, communion. Next time we do communion, stop and think, wow, what I'm doing right here is I'm celebrating a blood covenant. This is a sign that I'm under a blood covenant. And He can't break His Word with a blood covenant. He who has begun a good work in you will finish it till the day of Jesus Christ because He's in covenant with you. That's why He'll never leave you. That's why He'll never forsake you, never fail you. That's why He'll never turn His back on you. That's why when you fail, He won't. That's why you're going to get into heaven not by might, not by power, not by your own works, not by anything you have done. But we're going to get into heaven by the blood. Our only way in is going to be, I'm covered in the blood. The blood is covering the doorpost of my heart. I've got the blood on me because he's looking at what his son did, not what we've done. We are not in a performance religion. We are in a blood faith. We're in a blood covenant. And God cut the covenant. And so next time we do the Lord's Supper, we are, we are celebrating the blood covenant. As we partake, we look forward to the time when we will partake of it with our Heavenly Father at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Great joy will echo throughout the hills of the New Jerusalem. And instead of being on Mount Calvary, it'll be on Mount Zion where Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. Thank God for the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? in whose covenant there's no Catholic and Protestant Lamb of God. Neither is there a Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, Episcopalian, Lamb of God. There's only one Lamb of God. And we're not in covenant with an organization, praise God, but we're in covenant with a person through the blood. So, will He forgive you? Yes. Has He forgiven you? Yes. Is He going to take you to heaven? Yes. Is He going to watch over you while you're here? Yes. Is He going to place His angels around you to protect you? Yes. Are you His children? Yes. And you can't get unborn. That's the power of the blood. So, let's stand together, can we? And I want you to say the last line with me like you're preaching. Are you ready? Thank God for the blood. Let's try it one more time. Thank God for the blood. Give the Lord a hand of praise, can you? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we stand in a blood covenant that God cut with us through his Son. We thank you for this series on the blood and for deepening our understanding of what you have done for us. We thank you that, Lord, now we stand in the completed blood covenant and nothing needs to be added to it or taken from it. We thank you, Lord, that we are secured by that blood. And, Lord, we pray if there's anyone in here that does not know the peace that comes from resting in that blood covenant, or anyone listening by radio who does not know the power of that blood covenant, touch them right now and bring them to the foot of the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for everything that you have done for us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's sing, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Steve, can you give me a, I don't know, I usually go to, Can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood.